Hello, and welcome to another episode of Healing Through Pain, a podcast dedicated to the mission of walking people towards healing and health. In each new episode, we will discuss how to show up well for the responsibilities and opportunities that life sends our way. Here is your host, Stephanie West, a licensed practicing counselor in the state of Michigan, a teacher, and a professor who lives her life at the intersection of mental health and education. Thanks so much for following along. Welcome to a new episode. As we get started here, at the onset, I do want to be very specific that I do not have all of the answers. This is a topic that I have so much desire to impart because I believe it builds in self-compassion and others' compassion, and that is one of my primary motives with educating about mental health. And I go about it in my kind of best of intentioned ways, understanding that there are still things I need to learn understanding that the first time I say something, it might be poorly refined and I might need to tweak it and I might need to think more clearly about my words going forward. And even as I give disclaimers, I can tell that I have a little bit of apprehension even having this conversation. But it's something that I just feel so convicted about the need to dismantle some of the verbiage we use around sins and mental health and some of the behaviors that are being met in really faulty ways. And so over the last week, I had someone message me about the intersections of morality and mental health, and it really got me thinking about the need to do an intentional show. Again, I want to refine this message, and so if you have thoughts, if you have pushback, healingthroughpain21 at gmail.com, you are welcome to reach out to me there. But here's what I want to kind of set the foundation for this show. We often hear the term sin defined as missing the mark. If we are in fact missing the mark, it means we were aiming for something. And when I was in seminary, what they said to us, um, one of my favorite professors, he said, sin is an illegitimate attempt to meet a legitimate need. So when we're missing the mark and aiming at something, or sin is a not correct attempt to meet a need, what that tells us is that sinful behaviors or behaviors that are poorly thought out or poorly executed, they have a purpose. There's an intent there, but the outcome is not for the good of the person or for the good of the people being intersected with. And that's what I really want to lay the foundation in understanding. It rocked my world as it relates to trying to better understand human behavior. So what that would mean is that when other people are out there making choices that are in contradiction to what I would want to be true for them or what I would want to be true for the world around me, they're doing an action that meets some sort of need in a less than healthful way or in maybe a destructive way. So when I started looking at what's going on with someone and then in my own life, what's going on with me that I would meet my needs in this particular way, it really started to drive self-compassion and it really started to drive compassion towards others, understanding that there's a purpose for why we engage the way we do or how we engage the way we do. And so I come from a context where there's often a hardline posture of judgment about actions that someone commits. And often these very people are ostracized from church community when the reality is if the church started asking a different question, like what are we missing here? What are the needs that aren't being met? Compassion would flow out from that understanding. When we start to ask the question of why someone chooses a particular behavior instead of what is the behavior, we can start to lean into an actual path towards healing because we understand that needs drive behaviors. 
Self-compassion and others' compassion is what I'm trying to achieve here. And I want us to ask the question, when we see a behavior that we really don't like or we actually outright detest, ask yourself, what is the need? What is being communicated through this choice, through this behavior? So things like greed, things like hoarding, things like stealing, that's often coming from a mindset of scarcity or a mindset of not having enough. Addiction is often coming from a need to self-soothe or a need to numb out because the reality of what they're experiencing is just a touch too painful. And then we establish this hierarchy. Well, is it alcohol? Is it weed? Is it harder drugs? Because each one of them says something about the person, and that's actually not accurate. In each of those situations, someone is numbing, and they probably chose the agent that was most accessible to them, and probably there's a habit piece that is formed at this point. But if we started to look at not what is the vice, but what is the need, the conversation shifts. Do they need connection? Do they need to be valued? Do they need to be seen? Do they need to have health modeled to them? When we talk about things like affairs and sexually acting out, instead of just looking at the behavior, we've got to look at what does this behavior accomplish? Does it accomplish connection with someone? Does it accomplish someone needing to feel desired? Does it accomplish needing to feel important. I've talked about the fact that I have trauma stamped all through my story. And one thing I've said to my therapist before is I said, I live in a world where I accept scraps and call it relationship. If that's true that you only believe that you're worthy of scraps, imagine where that takes you in your decision-making process. Then we look at something like pornography. And pornography is one of those hot button issues that Either we hush people up about it or we make black and white statements about it instead of calling it what it is. Pornography addiction usually stems from a loss of control. It usually has a root in anger somehow. And so if we start to ask those questions, why does a 9 or a 10 or an 11-year-old choose pornography? Well, it was probably one of the most readily available things to them and it gave them the illusion of control and it gave them some sort of way to express anger. It serves a purpose, but when we look at the behavior in isolation and we have criticism for someone who engages in a behavior that is maladaptive or that is inappropriate or that is unhealthy, when we reduce them to the behavior, we miss the opportunity to look behind the behavior and say, what is this person experiencing? Why would they choose this particular action as a solution? Where was the breakdown for this person that this became the choice for them? Maladaptive choices at one point in our story made sense. They served a purpose. And again, sometimes that habit piece comes along and now it's the thing we automatically reach for and now it no longer serves a purpose. But missing the mark and engaging in an illegitimate solution, they both need to be understood as a needs-based response. So when I'm working with clients, I rarely would use the verbiage right or wrong, especially if I'm not working with a faith-based client. But if there is a giant sin issue happening, we're going to have a conversation about it, but we're not going to say, stop the behavior, period. We're going to say, what? is going on here that this is your solution and what could we do instead? What is a more healthful input that gets you the outcome that you're seeking with this particular choice? I can and I do use confrontation and I ask clients what are their values and what do you want to be true about your life and when they're making decisions that step outside of that, we hold it up side by side and say this is what you want to be true, this is what is true, I think we have some work to do. If we are working with clients in a faith context and I'm granted permission to use the verbiage of sin, 
We'll talk about that, but we'll also explore why this is the chosen manifestation of your need, because there is a need driving the behavior. What are they aiming for that is leading them to miss the mark? What are they aiming for that is an illegitimate response to a legitimate need? And I've talked before, I have incredible mentors and incredible friends who walk alongside of me and who are just rampant truth tellers. And one of the stories that I can reflect back on is I had a friend just a few seasons ago where there was a a friendship forming and there was an incompatibility of values between myself and this person. And my friend said to me, he said, Steph, I don't believe this is an appropriate dynamic for you to engage in. And I was like, I don't understand what you're saying. I'm just, you know, it's, it's just a friendship. And he said, what I know, you did not intentionally set out in this friendship with poor intentions or to excuse bad behaviors or to come alongside of someone who's inappropriate for you. But he said, I believe if you continue in it, it will be willful sinning. And you have to consider what is the need going on here? You have to fulfill it differently because this is inappropriate. And I get to walk that with my clients and it's never from a posture of judgment. It's from a posture of true love for their well-being. And we can have those tough conversations because I understand and my friend understands and my clinical friends understand and my mentors understand and my supervisors understand that when we make unhealthy decisions or when we engage in outright sinful behaviors, there's still a reason for it. And we have to track down what is the reason for it. And we have to have compassion for others that some Sometimes, in spite of our best efforts, we miss the mark. There are several drives that propel each of us into the decision-making process. The need for human connection is absolutely vital for us the need to be valued, the need to have our basic physiological needs met. These are actual things that we as humans need to survive and thrive. And when they're not met in a healthful way, we are going to find ways to get the needs met. And sometimes in spite of our best efforts, we choose really, really poor methods of getting our needs met. There's also the mental health piece that sometimes how we think about our needs actually causes more damage too. So our thought patterns might be contributing to our perception of needs. For example, if I'm running with this idea of I'm supposed to make everyone happy, well, that in and of itself is going to cause a lot of distress and I'll probably have to self-soothe because the reality is I can't make everyone happy. So the distress I experience is exacerbated by this faulty thought pattern. So when I think with clients, yes, we look at behaviors and we look at sin nature, but we also look at what's going on in their thought patterns. How do we need to mold and remold some of that? How do we refine and bracket our belief systems? Because sometimes that's the catalyst for meeting our needs in a poor fashion as well. And so we often ask the question, what would be a more helpful or a more healthy behavior? What would be a healthy or a more healthy thought pattern? I don't question that people have basic needs. I would never look at someone who's in an affair and say, well, you should just be okay on your own. I would look at them and say, where did the breakdowns happen? Why are you experiencing this level of an unhealthy solution? I would want to explore with them why this became the solution. And when we lead with judgment first, when we lead with should statements, or you're supposed to, or this is what it's it needs to look like, we are missing opportunity to see the human who's trying to meet the need and they're meeting it in a poor way. So when I have parents come to me exasperated with their kids, I have to ask them, what might your child be trying to communicate to you with these behaviors? Kids who need the most love ask for it in profoundly unloving ways. That's the unfortunate complexity of human behavior. When a spouse comes with an unloving exchange with their significant other, I say to them, it sounds unloving and I understand why that would be painful. What else might they be trying to communicate to you? 
Yes, they're being hurtful, but what else are they communicating? When we talk through trauma, trauma affects our belief systems, it affects our schemas, and it definitely affects our behaviors. It affects our emotional volatility. Trauma takes what should be hopefully healthy decision-making patterns and contorts it and perverts it in really confusing ways, especially when we talk about physical trauma and sexual trauma. When we talk about emotional neglect, it is a travesty to enter adulthood and basically have to create an entire roadmap of health because it was not modeled for you. So physical health, emotional health, spiritual health, relational health, financial health. But that's a space some of us will be called into. And unfortunately, we're going to get it wrong sometimes. We're going to miss the mark sometimes. We're going to choose illegitimate methods and means. But we need people around us who, instead of leading with guilt and shame, will lean in towards us and say, hey, Steph, what do you think that was about? Why might that have been the way to go about things? What was wrong with it? How else could we meet that same need? If we are in a context where guilt and shame are primary motivators for change, we are going to be surrounded by people who ask us to put on the appearance of being transformed, not people who are actually invested in us being well. And healing is such a complex process. That's why walking with someone towards healing is my biggest recommendation. If you are in a faith context, there are excellent faith-based clinicians out there that can help you reconcile what's true about life, what do I want to be true about life, how am I meeting my needs now, and how can I more healthfully meet these same needs. And so I've said it before, today I do my best, tomorrow I do better. And we we have to surround ourselves well with people who are passionate about healing for body and mind and spirit, people who lead with compassion. And we have to lead with self-compassion as well, understanding that if we are engaging in harmful behaviors, if we are engaging in sinful behaviors, we've got to figure out what need is driving it. And we have to surround ourselves with rampant truth tellers if we expect to do better. These are going to be people who allow us to be human. That is imperative to understand that being human is part of the process, which means we will get it wrong sometimes. I use this analogy often with my clients, I said, I am a force. I am an intense person and I harness the power of the Tasmanian devil in what I do. That's just what happens. So if you think of Taz and he's, you know, circling about and he's just causing chaos where he goes, I have that level of intensity. And if it's channeled well, and if it's channeled on the right course, and if I have reassurance in what I'm doing, I can move mountains. It's going to be incredible what can be accomplished. But when it's not harnessed well, when it's just moving around in circles, it can be incredibly self-destructive. And I think that's true about a lot of people. If it's harnessed well, if we know how to move forward in a healthy way, we could move mountains. But if we're stuck in the spin cycle and we're just generating energy, there's a very good chance we're going to create havoc and we're going to miss the mark and we're going to choose illegitimate ways to meet our needs. And that, my friends, is why we have to engage in actively understanding and seeking out wellness and seeking out health. We also have to engage in humility. And if you don't understand why someone chooses their particular expression of getting their needs met and, and you come from a posture of judgment, I would say we have to come from a posture of self-reflection that says, I'm thankful that I know to do it differently. I'm thankful that I understand how to meet my needs more healthfully. And I want to be a light to those who don't yet know that instead of being the person who judges them and encourages them to engage in self-criticism or self-loathing. It is imperative that we walk humbly, that we understand we have needs, that we understand we get it wrong. And when we know better, we do better. Thanks so much for tuning in. Thanks so much for taking the time to listen. Please share this content with friends and family. Feel free to connect with Stephanie at healingthroughpain21 at gmail.com. Until next time, be well.